Theology Gals, Episode 13, Christ and Culture with Ryan Haskins. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening, and welcome to the Conversations from the Port. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. Theology Gals is a podcast by women for women, and I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Ashley Glassick. And Ashley, is this episode 12? I, I suddenly lost track. We're on 13, I believe. Oh, 13. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm... I'm um, I'm not keeping very good track. You know, so how's it going? Thing. That's a good thing. That means we've recorded enough where we're starting to get confused. Yeah. Um, it didn't happen when we were on like episode two. We knew exactly right. what episode we were on. Right. I need to figure so. out a way to better, better keep track. Yeah. Better keep track of that. Well, I do know one kind of exciting thing that happened this week. Um, we oh, just passed, share. well, I think you know too, but we just passed 2,500 women in our Theology Gals Facebook group. Wow. I did see that. Although last time I looked, it was 2,499. So maybe I missed the uh, the bump up oh, to 2,500. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it was just yeah. a little bit ago. Today, Ash and I are recording on Saturday. And so one of the admins came in and said, we just hit 2,500. So, but I think there that are. Is super exciting. I think there are people who. Um, who come and, and sometimes they check it out and say, yeah, it's not really for me and leave. So I remember when, yeah. like, it was quite a while ago in, I think it was, it was in the reform pub where they're like, and now we just got our 12,000th member or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, and then like the next week, again, they're at that same number again. So I think there's always, you know, right. yeah. as, as long yeah. as you're going up, generally speaking more than, yeah. then you're shrinking. It's probably a good thing. Uh-huh. And we've, you know, the the group is going well. I I think it's always kind of evolving. And you know, some people say, you know, don't like this about it and that about it. And you know, I think we have a great admin team, so we're always trying to, you know, say how can we better handle these situations and deal yeah. with different things. Not that there's a lot, but um, you know, we have to. We added another admin this week, which is yeah. really exciting. Um, just to have a little bit more help. So I think it's gone very well. Yeah. Anything exciting, Ashley? You know, this week, um, I I guess I've had renewed appreciation for the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, my pastor taught last week on church discipline, and he was kind of doing some of the question and answer of um, the Larger Catechism before he started his sermon. And I was like, man, I don't spend enough time 
going through those catechism questions. So mm-hmm. um, this week I've been like ripping through that. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is such an amazing resource. Why do I neglect this, you know, so often? Um, if you haven't checked out the Westminster Larger Catechism, you should definitely, definitely check it out. Any question you may have is probably answered by very intelligent men 400 years ago in there. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a great resource. Um, and I find myself re- referring to it often. We had mentioned before that app with, you know, confessions and catechisms chisms of the reformation although i don't i actually have other something else i use for the westminster but um i've appreciated that even just going through some of the other ones and i think maybe presbyterians don't think about the heidelberg as much um or the belgic confession canons of dort i think is a must to read through Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much great stuff um, this week, and you know about this already, Ashley, but I got a message from a young woman, a Muslim, 23 oh, wow. years old, and she said, can I ask you some questions about Christianity? And, wow. Um, you know, it's so interesting. Some of her questions, I literally went and copied and pasted from the confession and the catechism. Because I I don't think I can answer it any better when she was asking me some questions about the Trinity. You know, in my mind, I thought, you know what? The confession answers this so well. I'm just going to go find that and give that to her. And she said it was just very, very helpful. And, you know, she kept having more questions. And she, um, English isn't her first language, but her English was very, very good. And if she didn't understand something, there wasn't too many things you know, that were like that, but, you know, she would ask me, what does, you know, this mean? And, but it was, it was kind of neat. You know, she, um, Mm -hmm. she said she found me through theology gals and was trying to find a Christian she could talk to. And we're going to talk again. Yeah. That's so So. great. I have heard that the Trinity is one of those things that Muslims really, I mean, I guess anybody who's not a Christian would really struggle with that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I've heard, I think I've heard James White talk about that and how he talks to Muslims. So I can understand why she would have that question. Yeah. I want to brush up on, you know, maybe the best way to approach it with Muslims. And I've got, I have a few resources. There's a guy named Adam Francisco mm-hmm. and he he's a Lutheran, but he is specifically has um, is an expert on Islam and even um, has done a lot of ministry to Muslims. And he has a series. He was on the White Horse Inn radio show talking about it, but he has another series on YouTube that I watched that was just really, really good. And it really, really helped me to it's not something I've studied a lot. So it Mm -hmm. really helped me to understand some things a little bit more. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yes. I don't really have, you know, any Muslims in my life. So, you know, I've, I know Jehovah's Witnesses, I know Mormons and have, you know, kind of learned a little bit about that because, you know, I, they're in my life to some degree, Mm -hmm. but this, you know, is, is new for me, but um, I'm excited to talk to her again. She was just very sweet and very intelligent. She really seemed to understand a lot of things. So, um, but she had some interesting questions too. I forget, I don't have it in front of me, but I forget how she asked it, but 
she said, you know, what are your religious, your daily re religious responsibilities? What things uh, do you have to do from sun up to sundown? And because they do have, you know, different prayers and stuff like right. that. Well, they have scheduled prayers. Yes, exactly. They have, to, they have to face Mecca. Um, I think it's three times a day, right? Yes, something like that. And it was kind of mm -hmm. neat. And so I was able to talk to her about kind of our view on the Sabbath and and mm -hmm. even a little bit about what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. Awesome. That was a great segue, Colleen. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I am excited. Go ahead. I, I know you are too. I was just going to say. I'm so excited for, for today's episode. I'm so excited about our guests. Um, we have probably one of our favorite podcasts that we listen to, right, Colleen? We, we listen yeah. to this podcast often and we'll, we'll chat about what, what they're talking about. Um, the podcast is called Theocast. So if you haven't heard of it, um, we'll be plugging them a few more times on this episode. Um, uh, so yeah, our guest is from uh, the podcast Theocast. We're really excited to have him on. Yes. And I think before we even got started, Ashley said she – this was an episode that we discussed doing this very episode. Yeah. I think before we started, uh -huh. we need to do an episode on this with one of the guys from Theocast. And yeah. so that's why we're especially excited. And, you know, one thing I do want to say before we um, go to our interview is, we're, you know, we're going to be talking about Christianity and culture and how we interact with culture. And we do know that even you know, among the Reformed, there are some different views on this. We know that, um, that Ashley and I take a view that maybe not everybody will take. And, you know, we we respect that. And it's something that we want to talk about. We look yeah. forward to maybe some conversations in the group um, that hold a different view on, you know, Christianity and culture and, and how we interact with culture and those sorts of things. I mean, mm -hmm. it is something, there are aspects which have been discussed in the group. You know, I think somebody asked, you know, can Christians listen to secular music? Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, we do hit on in this interview and, you know, some of those different things. And, you know, I don't think that there's the extreme views like, you know, in our circles, like you see with Amish or that sort of thing, where there's a mm -hmm. complete separation from culture. But there is some different ways of approaching it. So, yeah, um, we'll, we'll lay those out today um, so we can kind of, you know, just discuss, look at, look at the different ways people look at Christ, you know, how, how, how should Christians in, engage culture and um, kind of discuss maybe some pitfalls of certain views on that. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then, you know, kind of how we think that Christians should engage culture. So, well, should yeah. we get, should we get to uh, yes. our guests? I think, I think we should go to a little commercial break and then come back and we'll be back with Ryan Haskins, who is one of the guys on Theocast. And Theocast um, is a podcast that started um, with some guys from a certain church, with the pastors from a certain church, but they've just, they really hit some interesting topics. So I think it's, extended beyond just their church so um okay well we're gonna go to commercial and we will be right back looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach 
Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid, biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. And we're back with um, a very special guest tonight. If you've listened to us for any length of time, then you know we have recommended the Theocast podcast. And we have one of the guys from Theocast with us tonight, Ryan Haskins. Ryan, can you share with our audience just a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the recommendations. Um, Yeah, so I am one of the boys, if you will, from over at Theocast. Theocast is a uh, ministry of Community Bible Church. We're we're based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and we are an independent Bible church, but like many independent Bible churches – you know, our, our beliefs and convictions can be kind of from a, a, a wide variety. So over at Theocast, we are a reformed and uh, confessional church. And um, at Theocast, we love to promote and um, encourage those individuals that really are coming out of pietism. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have been on kind of this journey from uh, – out of fundamentalism, out of pietism, kind of to a confessional reform perspective. And we love to encourage those who are also on that journey. Um, so for myself, I grew up at CBC, so I'm kind of a Southern Southern boy at heart. Went to Moody for my undergrad, went to Master's Seminary for my uh, MDiv. And then the Lord graciously brought me back to the very church that I grew up in. So I am able to minister to the people that uh, served me growing up. So, yeah, that's so that's just some some background about who I am. Yeah. And if I can just add, I've I mean, I'm pretty new to reform theology within the last few years, and I've really enjoyed listening to you guys because I I just feel like I I relate so much to your guys's experience, you know, kind of some of the shock you've experienced and just. I don't know. I, I feel like if, if someone's listening who's pretty new to Reformed Theology, they would really enjoy your your podcast. So I'm just going to plug that again. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so yeah. much. It is, uh, every time we get to hear a story about somebody who's been encouraged by us, it, it uh, validates why we spend the time each week to record. Because um, there are a lot of moments, it's very easy to think, like, am I crazy? Am I alone? Am I the only person? kind of seeing uh, and rethinking the way church has always been. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I know for us, we found great encouragement with those guys who had gone before us. Uh, and, and we love that we get to be 
that guy for many people now of just being able mm-hmm. to go, Hey, you're not crazy. What you're, what you're feeling in those questions, um, that you have is right. So yeah. Thanks right. so much for the encouragement. Yeah. yeah. And you guys really do hit a lot of those topics that I think are maybe kind of, um, confusing. I've been reformed for 23 years, but I came out of that same background. And like you touched on Lordship Salvation, you did an episode on that. And, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, people that come out of that same background have to rethink. Yes. Yeah, definitely. That is, uh, that's one of the hot button issues, if you will, of, of guys uh, reforming or people reforming um, mm-hmm. in this way. And I, I, Honestly, I think many of our podcasts deal with that topic because it is um, it's I want to use the word pervasive. It's kind of a pervasive belief. But, uh, you know, people just kind of assume that lordship is the way it should be until you start looking at the Gospels and Christ and, and, and scripture and theology. And you go, wait, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's not right. <laughs> oh, and the reason I mean, and the reason also we brought you on is because you guys did a great, um, I think it was a two-parter on um, how, I think it was called Christ and Culture. That was what yeah. your series yeah. was called. And, you know, that's kind of what we want to get out today. I really, I don't know, appreciated those episodes. It kind of gave me some categories that I didn't have before. Um, Colleen, you okay with jumping in here uh, with the questions? All right. So, yeah. So let's go ahead and jump in. So, um, like you, like we said, you, you did the series Christ and culture. Uh, can you maybe give us like, what do you mean when you say Christ and culture? What are, what are you referring to? Yeah. Um, so essentially Christ and culture is the topic that is about how believers relate to the world around us. So um, another way you could state, state this is kind of church and culture. And, and this is a topic that many people, I, I think, don't step back and consider how they should interact with the world around them. But I, I, I want to say all believers have an inherent or ingrained view of how Christians should relate to the world. And it's inherent and ingrained because it, you know, it can really just be determined and based upon where you grew up, you know, a guy from the South, I'm going to have some, uh, I had some preconceived notions and convictions, um, or it could be when you grew up time period wise, kind of which decade, uh, or, you know, if it, we kind of like to call it the ex smoker syndrome, where if, if you came out of a certain background, you're going to have some convictions one way or the other. But essentially, it, it, it really is just looking at how we are to associate with this world. And many people, and, and, or Christians rather, many Christians, just assume that they have to reject the world. And they almost view secular, they just assume the word secular and secular culture means evil. And therefore, secular and all things secular, we have to reject. But secular doesn't mean evil. And secular, um, kind of in its most, you know, even from the Webster's Dictionary form, it it it, it doesn't. It, it's not a good versus evil, but it's a, a secular versus sacred, where it's 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 that thing that's just kind of common to all man. And so, this whole topic of Christ and culture is really 
getting people to think through uh, how is it we should live in the world around us because we live in the world around us. There's no way to escape that. It's, it's, it is impossible for Christians to get out of this world. And therefore, this whole topic that really is far-reaching and has been going on for many decades and years and centuries. I mean, it's, you can even look back and even Augustine, um, the city of God, in a sense, is, is a discussion on Christ and culture. It's looking at how should believers interact with this world around us. Hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point. And of course, there's a lot of different views. And so um, one thing that you're going to hear a lot, and I'd love to hear you you talk about this, is scripture, First John 2, says not to love the world. So what exactly does that mean? Yeah, you know, we've we found, and I found that First John 2... Uh, 15 through 17 is really the best uh, litmus test you can give somebody to figure out what their kind of inherent view of Christ and culture is. Um, if, if I can just read it all just so that, you know, those, those individuals yeah, that that are listening great. can, can know what it says is first John two fifteen. do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world. The desires of the flesh desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world and the world is passing away along with those desires and whoever does the will of God abides forever. So really the, the key statement in there is don't love the world or the things in the world. What does that mean? And uh, we, we have found that if you kind of ask that to somebody, don't love the world, their answer back to you is going to reflect what they view or their particular view of Christ and culture is hmm. because there's many people, especially in the South, I'll, I'll, I'll throw the Southerners under the bus because I'm one of them. <laughs> um, when they heard don't love the world for them, that was honestly, that was kind of the phrase they were looking for so that they could throw all of those dirty, rotten sinners under the bus and just kind of reject them. And so it's a thought of, as Christians, we are to reject this world around us. But what's hard about that is you have to understand that we are a part of the world. Like, you kind of have to put that verse in 1 John against the the greatest commandment in Mark 12. when, when, When Mark goes, okay, well, what's the greatest commandment? And God goes, well... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, what's next? What's the second greatest? Love your neighbor as yourself. So whatever 1 John 2 is talking about has to include the what Jesus is saying in Mark 12 with loving your neighbor. And whatever 1 John is talking about has to be applicable across all cultural barriers and times. And what we found, and I've and you know, we've all observed is that. Many times the application that is given to First John 2 is so particular to the cultural situation that the preacher or the Christian lives in that if, if you were to, let's say, go back 100 years and give that same list of what that means, that it wouldn't apply. Or people would look at you and go, you're crazy. I don't, I, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. And so – whatever it means has to be applicable across all cultural barriers and times. And, and 
it has to you know it has to fit in that that element of loving your neighbor so what what we've really seen and 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 what what you know we we at theocast and myself what i i have found is you really have to focus in on what love means in that verse don't love the world and by love that's you know when you love something you're intoxicated by it you're mm-hmm. overwhelmed by it you're controlled by it you're you know you 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 can't handle it you miss it i mean you know that's the you know, I'm, I'm i'm the student ministries pastor at the church so I, I i deal a lot with students i mean that's where like okay a student is loving their phone so much that they can't control their phone they can't handle the responsibility of their phone and therefore the love of their phone demonstrates that it's it's become an idol it's become a problem it needs to be taken away and i think first john is is speaking of love in that same manner it's don't be so intoxicated by the world around you that you are going to reject God's law and God. And essentially, I think it's First John is really repeating what we what we can see throughout the Old Testament, where the central theme, if you will, of the Old Testament, or, or rather, kind of cycle that Israel goes through, is God gives them the law, gives them His love, says, "Keep my law." Keep loving me. Don't make other idols. And Israel turns their eyes away from God and away from his law and starts loving the world around them and forgetting God. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the proper interpretation of 1 John 2 of don't love the world or the things of in the world is, is simply that. Don't mm-hmm. love it. Don't be controlled by it. Don't, don't be so over come by it that you're going to reject god reject his law reject who he is and and you know and and allow it to be the idol and that kind of chief thing in your life that controls you love god don't the world so these extreme views of separatism is not what it's referring to yeah i i i i think that many people when they come to that verse it validates that thought in their own mind of, ah, see there, John gives me the ability to separate from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've, uh, the, the phrase that's thrown around is be in the world, but not of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, what's funny is if you ask somebody, okay, where's that verse? Most people go, oh, it's, 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 I don't, let me Google it really quick. <laughs> <laughs> it actually doesn't it doesn't exist it's based on john 17 but it but it doesn't exist and this this thought that okay i'm to be in the world but i'm not to be of the world and and, and therefore i must separate from the world is is crazy because if you look back in history i think the people who did this best to kind of the the uh kind of the the clearest extent is Roman Catholics with um, monasteries hmm. and, you know, and, and Martin Luther is, is really the kind of the, the best example I can think of there where they try to separate from all of the sinfulness around them, went and lived, you know, in, in a commune, in a, in a, in, in a community that was all focused towards God. He was given every opportunity in his life to reject all of the quote unquote sinful culture in order to purify himself. And he couldn't get away from it. 
And the reason he couldn't get away from it is because the thing he was running from was inside of himself. And so the whole idea of separatism, um, I, I think it's based out of fear that people run and go, I don't want to be like those people. I think it's based out of pride that they start considering, they start thinking too highly of themselves. They, they start saying, I am better than those people. And it's based out of a, a uh, forgetting the fact that we're all depraved. Hmm. That they think, hey, well, I've reached the point when I don't need the gospel. I don't need grace. I just need to get away from those people over there. And if I can get away from those people over there, whoever those people are, mm-hmm. I can be- get my children away from those people over there, <laughs> you know, to protect my kids from. Yeah. 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 It- you know what? Um, when you were talking, I hadn't thought about this before, but um, I spent some years, well, many years homeschooling. And I think that there really was and Ashley brought up children i think there was a bit of that mentality not to the extreme um or luther in the monastery i think that we do see examples of it you know going on yeah yeah i mean i i so i was also homeschooled i i would say i was homeschooled for the right reasons because if i went to the public school i was owned for it probably would have like become a gang member um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, no way. I'm thankful. Uh, but I got to interact with a lot of those people who the only reason they weren't in a public school or in a private school or were only homeschooled was because hmm. they were better than everyone else. And I think separatism chiefly teaches moralism because it teaches our children and it, it even teaches ourselves that if we can just be better than the next person. If we can just be better than our neighbors, if we can just be better than whomever else in our mind, that God will accept us and that God accepts us because we are, quote unquote, better than our neighbors, mm-hmm. which is completely off of the gospel because, you know, God rejected Israel and those Pharisees who had all of the morality that they could possibly have and accepted tax collectors and, and, and adulterers and, uh, you know, lawyers and, and, and all of the sinners. And so this, this separatist, mind, separatist mindset is, is really is, is anti-gospel. Mm-hmm. And I, what I found is the people that – many of those people who are separatists in nature, I don't want to hang around because yeah. they're angry and – they're judgmental and they're difficult to deal with. I mean, I, I don't want to throw them all under the bus, but a lot of times the, the, they're the most ungracious people out there because they have created a place and a lifestyle that doesn't allow for grace. Hmm. Because the anticipation is you come into my zone and you clean your life up so that there's no need for grace. It's all law because they assume that they can fix all that is wrong with them by their law, by keeping their law. So I'm curious then um, with that being said, um, what do you think of 
all the Christian books and movies and music that like we have a lot of Christian options. Yeah. Uh, I mean, should we be having bonfires at our church where we're burning our secular music or (laughs) (laughs) should we, is it okay? Like, or should we be listening? You know, like, what do you think about that? Like we shouldn't listen to Van Halen, but if, if we have a striper album, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what? I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. My, my husband ended up becoming a Christian partly because of Striper. Well, obviously because of the Lord, <laughs> but he was a heavy meddler and someone invited him to a Striper concert and he was so intrigued. He pulled out his children's Bible when he got home and he'd grown up liberal Lutheran and started reading through it, then bought a real Bible. So anyways, that is awesome. <laughs> had to, had to put that little, uh, that little Striper. Let's give Striper some there. some credit. <laughs> that, That's right. You know what? I, I yeah I, I I confess I'm a sinner. I can be cynical to to some of these things. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, me too. That, that is awesome. You know, so there you go. You know, if 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 Striper was the catalyst to get your husband to have you know God obviously opened up his eyes, but if that was a catalyst that got right. Striper's totally worth it in, in, in my book. If one, yeah. If one. No, we make fun of it so, too. We, we do. Um, I think, I think with these type of things, discernment is key. You, you have to have discernment. Um, it, 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 do I say that there should be no Christian books, no Christian movies, no Christian music? Of course not. Absolutely not. I mean, I, I love Christian movies i love christian books or christian music i actually don't think outside of theology that i've read a christian book um but i i think if we only promote those exclusively then we have a uh we're off on our understanding of culture Hmm. there are many individuals out there that assume that what Christians have to do is take back every area of culture in order to, um, in order to redeem it. Hmm. And so, you know, if, if, if we want to watch a movie, we have to watch a Christian movie. If we want to read a book, it has to be from a Christian author. If we want to listen to music, the, the author of that music has to be a Christian. And that's assuming that the way that culture operates is exclusively Christian. And, and I think this goes back to the, you know, secular is easy and or rather secular is evil and Christian is good. Um, I think I think one of the downsides is, uh, again, when individuals think that they have to create an exclusively Christian culture and connections. Um, where if, if you, if you go to a mechanic, he has to be a Christian mechanic. If you use a plumber, he has to be a Christian plumber. If you use electrician, he has to be a Christian electrician. And so, um, I think that's one additional way of separatism of assuming that you want, or rather have to have the individual who works on your items or interacts with your life or influences you in every way, shape and form has to be a, a, a believer. Um, and so I, I, I guess with that, I don't think you have to stick with Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should stick with Christian because in my opinion, um, culture is a, uh, 
it's it's an odd Christian reality. Culture is not something that has only created. Culture was there prior to the fall. I guess I should I should, I should state it that way. Hmm. That before Adam fell, there was a culture. Now it was just Adam and Eve, so it was a very uh, small culture. And you know they got all the inside jokes and they got the language, but there was a culture there. And Christian or culture was is not something inherently Christian. And so God can gift another creature in the ability of some particular avenue and culture. The best mathematician is probably not a Christian. The best scientist may not be a Christian. The best mechanic, probably not a Christian. The best plumber, probably definitely not. Um, <laughs> but there, there can be those experts on a subject outside of the Christian faith that we can rely upon. And if, if we as Christians limit ourselves to only being influenced by those people who proclaim Christianity, either we limit ourselves in our intellectual pursuits or we uh, – frankly, we, we just weaken our minds – because we don't allow for those other individuals and, and or who have thought critically about something to inform us, and we don't allow ourselves to think critically because I think that we lose something when we can't enter into a conversation with a non-believer and be able to stand there in that conversation and in our own minds take what's good, leave what's bad, and be able to say, I understand how I'm different. But I under also understand how as another human being, another creature standing in front of me, I can benefit by the conversation and I can benefit by your study in whatever field you have. Does that answer the yeah. question? Lynn? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I did think of one of my favorite Michael Horton quotes um, when we're talking about Christian music that I heard on a conversation when I was newly reformed, listening to the white horse Sin back in the early nineties. And he said, um, when you become a Christian, you throw away your secular music. When you become reformed, you throw away your Christian music. <laughs> and that, and that Michael, was Michael said it, not me, but I, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and I should mention, I think that there is some better Christian music <laughs> than there was in the early nineties when he was saying that, I think that there's maybe some more theologically sound stuff today, but <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've noticed this. We, we've noticed this at over Theocast. I think I technically have to give Byron the credit for this because he's, he's kind of the, the music guy of us, but he's pointed out that non-Christians have a, at times have, have the better ability of describing the condition of man and the struggles of men than mm-hmm. Christian music does hmm. because they they allow themselves to think uh, deeply and to use poetic language where non Christians would would not. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I think if if you limit yourself, as, yeah. as I said prior, you 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 definitely um, are are having inherent weakness within you because you're unwilling to listen to those individuals that just have a connection and have thought deeply about things that affect all humans, not right. just Christians. Yeah. So um, a- another question we had is, 
we've mentioned uh, separatism, uh, which I'm guessing in the South is maybe more common than here in California. Um, But uh, what are some other uh, ways people view culture besides separatism? Because there's some views even, you know, within Reformed groups. What are some other views that are out there, I guess? Yeah, you know, I was I was trying to think through um, some titles and and I couldn't none came to mind, but some symptoms did. And so you, you can you can either help me kind of put some titles to these symptoms or maybe as I start describing these people, you go, oh, I'm, I may be them or I may know that person. <laughs> um, I think the, the first symptom is just anger. And this kind of falls in line with separatism, but you know, it's, it's outside of that. It's It's just an anger of they hate the world and they're, they're angry individuals and they're waiting for Jesus to come back to destroy this place so that they can just get out of, out of town and not have to deal with those people around them. Hmm. And um, I think those are the individuals that forget that what they're angry about in the world, they're, they're just a great of cause to be angry. Um, they're just as much of a problem as all of those other people. Uh, and they, yeah, they're, they're just angry individuals. Hmm. And unfortunately, I, we see this more than, more than we like, because that, that just kind of leads to a really desperate and difficult existence. Cause they're just angry all the time. It's just those people over there are doing that thing to me. And if those people could get their act together, my life would be better. Um, so yeah, just that person who's angry and hates the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next kind of difference that I can see among Christians is that individual who's driven and wants to change the world. You know, it's don't be in the world, but not of the world. And so my job is to make the world just like me. And this mm-hmm. is a good thing and a bad thing. A good thing because it assumes they need to enter into every cultural or, you know, not every, but some particular cultural endeavor and make it Christian. So Hmm. I'm going to be the best musician possible and all musicians need to be Christian. I'm going to be the best plumber possible and and all the, and and all the plumbers need to be Christian. And and they, they are focusing their pursuits on changing the world, which Hmm. sounds great, but often it's from a moralistic standpoint. It's from an external standpoint. If only the individuals around me can realize they need to act like me, if that happens, the world will be better. So those people so it's those individuals that are really focused towards towards changing and that's kind of their their isn't own. isn't that kind of um kind of a transformational it is. It is. Yes, I, I would. I would definitely put that under uh, under the transformationalist title and heading um, of those those individuals that think it's their job to uh, restore culture back to its intended order, and so they are going to set out in every particular avenue of culture and try to restore it back to the way God had designed it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's that is definitely the transformationalist model. And then next, I just I think it's that person who's apathetic. I see I see this a lot in high school students and college students, and it's essentially I don't care about the world, and and not in a I don't care about the world, so I'm just gonna 
you know, be excluded from it, but I don't care about the world. So I'm not going to care about the differences there. They are like me. I am them that there is no distinction. And, uh, you know, as much as I reject separationists and say, no, you shouldn't be separate from the world. I, I also reject those individuals that think there, there is no difference because there clearly is sin the state of sin in which we all live in has changed the mindset of all of us. And so there are some individuals who hold to different ethics and different beliefs and who struggle with certain sins and have certain bents that as believers, because scripture clearly lays out, we have to reject that and go, no, we, we don't hold to that view because the Bible speaks against it. Um, and there are those individuals out there that just kind of want to bury their head in the sand and go, well, God is love. And if God's love, he loves that individual just like he loves me. And therefore, that particular issue, struggle, sin in their life doesn't necessarily matter. So I, I, I do think it's that, you know, it's that kind of view of, of um, apathy. And then I guess last. I would add in, I would say just a reasonableness. Um, I, I want to put myself in this category. I hope, <laughs> hope in this category. I, I hope somebody looks at me and goes, "Yeah, it's it's kind of reasonable." And and this reasonableness is, um, it's I would I would call this a two kingdom perspective. You know, if if, if we contrast that with the driven perspective of transformationalists, and that's understanding the distinctions and differences, but appreciating the similarities. Understanding that. I am just like my next door neighbor who is a sinner because I am a creature of God. He created me that him and I, uh, clearly if he's my neighbor, we have something in common. We both live in the South. We, we both live in Nashville. We probably both like sweet tea. Um, and we probably have some differences. You know, I, I grew up here. He, he, he may not have grown up here, but we can also have a difference. And that difference is, I place my faith in Christ. That difference is I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need his grace and that I, I can't save myself, but Christ has to save me. Um, and kind of that chief difference is I am a part of a kingdom. This is assuming the neighbor is a non-believer um, that, I, I, that I'm a part of a kingdom that he's not a part of. And that kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. That that kingdom is one of is 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 one of Christ. That kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. So the, the from a theological concept, that's the kingdom of the common kingdom, the Noahic kingdom, and the special kingdom, the the Abrahamic kingdom. And so I understand that I'm I am a part of a different kingdom, and yet there's similarities. And I can interact, and I can and I can enjoy things just like he can. I can enjoy music and culture and art and books and entertainment just like he can. But I understand or I have, you know, my eyes have been opened and I have been reconciled to my God. And so there's going to be times when he when when I, I live differently, when I, I hold things differently, when I deal with things differently, when I um, approach things differently, when I'm convicted by things that he's not convicted by because my eyes have been opened, because my my heart of stone has been removed and heart of flesh has been put in. So. Um, yeah, just that understanding that there is a reasonableness there, but that just because he's not a part of the uh, Abrahamic 
covenant, just because he's not a part of the new covenant, just because maybe he's, he's he's not a believer, doesn't mean that I don't have anything in common with him and that I need to reject him as an individual. Hmm. So yeah, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think I think we've kind of already talked about this some, um, but um, you know how how are we as Christians to interact with culture? And I wonder if maybe even touching on kind of just when we're talking about two kingdoms, you know, even what that kind of means, um, you know, even distinguishing between the sacred and secular, what things are um, part of each, you know, how we interact with the church is different than we interact, you know, with our neighbor. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So just, just once again, the, the two kingdom perspective, the secular and the sacred and secular, uh, every, everyone who is born on this earth is part of the secular culture and kind of the secular kingdom, if you will. And the kingdom that that falls under is the Noahic covenant. When God reestablished the, um, Adamic covenant with Noah after the ark, he gave all humans, a common covenant go be fruitful multiply establish your earth have dominion over over the animals every uh individual falls under that covenant there's a justice that it's it's kind of uh, far-reaching if, if if you want to read more on on that uh two kingdoms by van drun it's i think is kind of the best explanation of it and so every individual falls under or lives rather in that common kingdom and out of that kingdom, God called at first one, Abram, and then it was Abraham, father of many nations. And from that nations, from every tribe, tongue, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore, he called those individuals who, who are going to be part of the special kingdom, the, the, the sacred kingdom. And that covenant that he gave was, you are going to place your faith in me, and I am going to do something special with you so you are going to be different than the secular kingdom you're going to be different than the noahic covenant because you are going to have a relationship with your creator unlike no other creature will have you will be reconciled to your god your sin with all of the other creatures that's an issue you stand opposed to your god but in the sacred kingdom in the abrahamic covenant in the new covenant under christ you're reconciled to your god so you have a different view of things you have a different way of living that, that again heart of stone has been removed heart of flesh put in your eyes have been opened, and um you, you once again have a connection and a communion with your god so then it really sets up this whole distinction so this is really the foundation of it all of what do we do? And I think Peter in First Peter does an excellent job of describing um, really kind of what our interaction with the world should be and even why we have an interaction with the world. So this is, you can go back to why shouldn't we, we be separatists? And I'm quoting this off, off the top of my head, so if I get it wrong, please forgive me. But First Peter 2, 9 and 10 is you're a royal priesthood, holy nation. Uh, people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so God chose some 
so that we can be an example to those around us to go, wait, I'm different. He chose some to demonstrate that some were special. And then in 1 Peter 3.15, um, I'm not going to be able to quote this one off, but the, the, the context essentially is when you suffer, when you go through hard times, when you stand out, when people look at you and go, you are absolutely crazy because you are choosing the hard way of doing things. You're choosing the, let's say, Christian way of doing things. You're different. Why Why are you different? And as First Peter says, it's so that they can see the hope that's within you. So literally, they can look at you and go, you're different. There's something inside of you that's not inside of me. You have something to live for that that I'm not living for. You have a peace about you that I don't have. You have a hope about you that 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 I don't have. And so really the interaction with with this world is one that we get to be walking illustrations of the grace of God on a daily basis so that people can really look at us and go, huh, that's weird. That's, that's not how I would handle that. Why do you handle it that way? And it all comes back down to the fact of because Christ has saved me. Because I've been reconciled to a, a holy God. And so that I don't have to live in the, in the um, hopelessness of not knowing what's going to happen when I die. Not knowing why this stuff takes place. Not knowing uh, why I've been put on this earth. Not having a, a, a purposelessness, if you will. But it, it, it affords us the opportunity to go, oh, I understand what's going on in this earth with this with this pain and i have a hope because i know god is going to come and return and there's new heavens and new earth and all of this pain and difficulty one day it's going to be removed and 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 it's almost like we kind of have the the answer key to life and go oh i understand what's going on and so we can live our life our lives and we can interact with the world and be walking testimonies and illustrations of the fact that a Something is wrong, and that is sin. And B, what people ultimately need is not self-help books, is not morality, is not ethics, but it's Christ. It's it's being reconciled to their holy God, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I guess uh, with with taking that kind of two kingdoms perspective – people can criticize that and it it almost seem it can seem to some that if we don't want to transform or kind of moralize the culture make it more christian that we don't care about the culture and i was just wondering if you could speak to that yeah well so th- this this two kingdom perspective has, has been around for a while and um I, I agree. One of the chief criticisms is, okay, if you are separate from the culture, then yes, you clearly don't care about it. And um, I'll be honest, if you, if you take two kingdom perspective to its furthest extent, you get Nazi Germany because those individuals that were there, uh, they, the two kingdom perspective allowed for Jews to be, um, persecuted and, uh, and, and tortured in that way. I think there's a balance. You have to understand that, uh, you have to understand that you can't save the world by redeeming the culture. 
But at the same time, as believers, we, we do have an opportunity to help the culture. We do have an opportunity to be humanitarian in, in, in nature, but we just have to hold it all in balance. We, we just have to remind ourselves continually that, you know, we have the opportunity to lend an egg, to love, to give clothes to people, to um, serve in homeless shelters, to serve in, in, in food banks, to do whatever is needed around you, to build homes, to go on mission trips, to do that humanitarian work, to love and to love deeply and to love in really extravagant ways. And yet we have to remind ourselves that's not what saves the individual. And I think where where, where people go wrong is if you are hyper-Calvinists, where it's like, well, because God knows exactly who it's going, who he's going to save, I don't have to evangelize. And because God knows exactly who's, who's a Christian, I don't, have to, I don't have to love anyone. That's way off the rails on one side. And then on the other, it's assuming that if I just you know, serve in, in humanitarian ways, that's enough to save an individual. So really, I think it's just holding everything in balance. And um, – Helping and just kind of reminding ourselves that the gospel is 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 God transforming our heart by grace through faith, and that is the only thing that can save us. And then because of that, because he has saved us, we have an opportunity, we have the ability, we have the freedom to share that love, to love our brother to love our neighbor in any and every way possible. That's why it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is love your neighbor. Do that because that's a good thing. But just understand that just loving your neighbor is not enough. That's, that, that doesn't save them. That doesn't save you. That's just your – that's just the freedom that you have. That's in some sense your, your creaturely duty. It's love the creature next to you because they're a creature. Love them, serve them, but understand that uh, the best way you can love them, in addition to whatever their humanitarian need is, is by declaring to them the, the gospel and the grace of God through Christ. So, so really, instead of, you know, just to kind of bring this all together, instead of going into the culture and trying to change it to make it more Christian. We want to go into the culture and preach the gospel because changing the culture is not going to save people, but the gospel is really. Yeah. Yeah, If if I could just share one quote, and this is from the Van Drunen book. And as I was kind of thinking about this conversation, this this quote was so helpful um, when I came to it. It's, it's in his introduction somewhere in there, and it's about really what the pursuit of the believer should be and what the pursuit of the individual based on the culture. And, and it says this, uh, quote, the kingdom of, of God proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ is not built through politics, commerce, music, or sports. It's not built by changing those things. Redemption does not consist in restoring people to fulfill Adam's original task. Essentially what he's saying there is redemption is not, okay, pick back up where Adam left off. Do what Adam didn't do. Do, you know, where Adam failed, you start. 
because where Adam failed, it was over. It was done. You know, it, perfection was the key. Because Adam failed, it's just perfection. But lost. But yeah. uh, but consists in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself fulfilling Adam's original task once and for all on our behalf. Thus, redemption is not creation regained, but recreation gained. And I think the best thing we get to share with the world around us is, I know that the world that you live in hurts. Cancer is terrible. Death is terrible. Pain is terrible. Suffering is terrible. I know that that is terrible. I, I, I love that as, as believers, we can proclaim that and go, that's not how this world was meant to be. How the world was meant to be was perfect. And by the grace of God, we get to live in the new heavens and new earth one day when that perfection when as it should be is regained and is recreated because of what Christ has done, we get to live in that because of Christ's work. And so we get to offer that. But it can become very confusing to people when we assume that the way we reach that fulfillment is by, as it said there, building through politics, commerce, music, and sports. Very confusing when you think that it's through those cultural endeavors you will regain what was what was once lost. And it's, it's confusing because it's a hopeless task. Even if you could get to a Christian nation, you know, that'd be Constantine. Well, that didn't go so well. I mean, even, even, even in, you know, that's back to, back to Martin Luther, even in those moments when you can get those believers together that, that all have similar pursuits, it doesn't go well because the sin is inside of them. And so Christ can come in. What we get to offer to our culture is, Hey, your chief problem, your chief concern, we have an answer for that. That's Christ. Christ came and did what, what you can't do. And and therefore, now we get to go enter in, into culture and enjoy it. Enjoy enjoy it for, for what it's worth, understanding that God created culture. God allowed culture. God allowed that, that individual, sinner or saint, to... You know, be an amazing artist, to be a great actor, to be a great musician. Um, those those uh, strengths and talents in life really point to the hand of our creator. They don't, you know, it goes, wow, how is it that a person could sit down and write a song like, I don't know, Bohemian Rhapsody? How is it that Dawes, that's the, music, that's the band I've been listening to recently, because Byron turned me on to it. How is it that, that the band Dawes can make such awesome music? Because they have been fearfully and wonderfully made. It's because they, 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 have, they have been created by a creator that is so detailed and so powerful that he can create such a complex individual like we all are. And we get to uh, just enjoy that complexity that we see all over our culture. So as Christians, we can look into all of those areas and go, yes, there's God. Even if the, even if the artist itself doesn't see it, go, that's God. Because only a intelligent divine being would create an individual who would have the ability to do that thing. Wow. Amen. Yeah. It, yeah. I, this is an awesome awesome topic and really you can it's i i know this is just kind of the uh 
beginning stages in a thousand or kind of a hundred thousand feet. Um, cause you can really take this in, in, <laughs> in any angle. I mean, in, in, in all areas. So. Well, I guess, it, um, the last thing I will ask, you know, one of our goals really is to encourage further study. And yeah. so, um, on, on the episode notes, I, I'm going to link the episodes that Theocast did on the same subject. And you also mentioned the Van Drunen book, which I will link. Is there any other resources that you would recommend someone, you know, is just wanting to grasp this? Yeah, I, I don't know what we link to the Theocast uh page um van drunen definitely uh dr carson has done a phenomenal uh study on christ and culture i think it's revisiting christ and culture and in the front of that book in the introduction or maybe even in the introduction and the first chapter he does a synopsis of ryan niebuhr's uh work on christ and culture and i have not interacted with the only interaction i've had with niebuhr is through carson because he makes my head hurt both Carson and Niebuhr. But Niebuhr is kind of the first guy on the scene to start um, uh, giving a synopsis of all of these various views of, you know, Christ through culture, Christ in culture, Christ over culture, Christ by culture. I forget all of the prepositions he puts in there. Um, so that that work as well, even kind of the, the whole book and then especially the first chapter. Um, and I know I know Byron's written some on, on Theocast. Um yeah, uh, Dr. Michael Horton in his, I'm pretty sure it's Pilgrim's Theology, he has a excellent chapter on this, and it's kind of the condition of man, state of man. He has some, he has some great stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So, and then I always got to pump our Scott Clark. He he has stuff. I just forget what it is because he has so much stuff that it's like, yeah, it's it's a. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's fantastic work. So yeah, there is so much on the Heidel blog. If you, I don't know how he writes that. Book. Yeah, I don't know. I wish he was here to <laughs> ring to ring his bell. Yes. Um, as we plug the Heidel blog, but he has written on just about everything. If you have a yeah. question, we we've really appreciated him a lot and had him on a couple of weeks ago and have learned a lot. I'm actually reading Pilgrim's Theology right now. So very good. Book, yeah. which I recommend. So I'll, I, I'll try to link some of that stuff and see what you guys had linked on the same episode and maybe add some things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Looking for. I hope I didn't take it too much off course. Oh no, it was, it was great. We, we really appreciate it. Okay, Ashley, that was a great interview, wasn't it? That was really great. I'm, I am still processing it a little, but uh, yeah, he had a lot of good things to say. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to it um, again, you know, so I can kind of really think through some of the things that that he had to say. But I think it's, I think it's an important topic. I think it's something that. You know, a lot of women are trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I'm a millennial, so maybe you're—you've seen a, a lot more happen than I have. But I feel like our culture is changing so much. You know, in the last ten years, it's just 
Yeah. You know, yeah, there's just so much going on and it's just like, it's hard as a Christian to be like, how do I, you know, how do I deal with this? You know, how do I engage the culture yeah. um, with everything that's going on? And I've, I've seen some changes just since um, I was younger. I remember, I want to say, you know, I was a teenager and they had the the Christian business guide came out. You know, if you're going to go get your car fixed or your house painted, go to the Christian business guide and pick someone who's a Christian. And, you know, that brings up a question. Do do we go to, you know, the, the church first or can we go to somebody when it comes to fixing your car, or painting your house or some of these things that are not church related? You know, do do we go and, um, you know, find somebody who's the best at it? Right. Yeah. Um, I, so I think I, I, growing up, we actually took our cars to a place in town in Corona. I don't know if you remember it called Sun's Auto. And they had the little, I do remember. they have a little like the Jesus fish or I, what do we call that? The, you know, the fish that people put on the their cars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like their logo. Like we took our cars to, you know, the Christian like body shop or, you know, car repair place. Right. So, um, it is hard to figure out that balance. So, Right. And I think there is a time, you know, I think that we have had, speaking of car mechanics, we have had the same mechanic for, um, since I was pregnant with my son, Ian, who's turning 17 this week. So for a long time, and he is a Christian and, um, he is very honest and he goes out of, you know, we didn't initially go to him because we knew he he was a Christian, but he is honest and he goes out of his way for us and tries to save us money and stuff like that. So, you know, I think it's great if you know someone who, you know, is a Christian, but I think the thing is that what we're saying is that you don't have to only interact with Christians Mm -hmm. in, um, when we're talking about things outside of the church in this, in the secular realm. Yeah. So, um, well, um, I think we should get to the question of the week and your, and you can't, why don't you ask it again? Cause you asked last week's question of the week. No, I thought you were picking the question this week. Oh no. I have the question after we answer the one from last week. You asked, I'll remind you, you asked, I think, what is your favorite thing to do with your family, outdoor activity to do oh with your gosh. family in the summer? Wow. Okay. I'm a teacher and it's May. <laughs> so my brain is like fried right now. Right. Um, okay. What, what is your favorite thing to do with your family outside? That was the question that I asked yeah. that I came up with. Right. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, okay. So, you, you answer first and then okay. I'll. And then I'm going to do the Ashley version. And, you know, I do want to announce that Ashley and I have decided we are going to do a better job of putting a post with our question of the week so we can hear your answers, too, Mm because we want to be able to hear your answers to these questions. And um, so in the future, we really look for that post because we would like to hear your answers. Um, You know, for me, if I have to pick one and it's not a hundred percent outdoors, but it, there's, um, a large outdoor aspect and that's camping. You know, um, when my kids were really little, 
we bought my grandparents' small little 19-foot motorhome from them. And we had that for a few years. We kind of outgrew it. Then we did tent camping for a while. And then Brent and I decided we were getting too old for tent camping. <laughs> so um, now we have another motorhome. I'm not even sure how many foot long it is, but it's it's perfect for our family. And we just love, love to camp. And yes, we do get to go in the motorhome at night and have a nice mattress and have, you know, we have a bathroom and a shower and a stove and a refrigerator and all of that. But we love, um, we love camping. We love going to places that are a little secluded. Even though we have a motorhome, we don't always, when we're um, traveling, you know, camping in the mountains, we do have, um, uh, what do you call that? <laughs> a generator. We don't always go to places that have hookups, although we're still able to have, you know, we've got a generator and some solar power and stuff. Um, but we love, we just love camping, being outside, you know, having a fire at night, roasting marshmallows and oh, yeah. hiking around. And the kids just love it too, you know, yeah. and we love being near water, maybe getting a little fishing in. Um, Ooh, yeah. So that that would be ours. So now for you, what is something that you look forward to doing one day when you have kids? What's something you'd like to do with your family in the summer? I I mean, I love camping. Mm-hmm. So definitely camping. I'm a big fan of hiking. And I think it's because I was a runner and I loved cross country. I love trail runs. I love going up to Mammoth or Big Bear. Um, and running, you know, through the hills and stuff. I can't run anymore, but I love just hiking. So I would just Hiking's love, fun. love to do that with um, future family, um, yes. children, God willing, and all that. So, and when you yeah. have like a when you have like a little baby, you can get one of those backpacks. We had one of those. Yes, those are so cute. Oh, and it's so fun because if you know the kids are like looking around, and you can use those till they're like two, and even up to age three, depending on the size of the kids. So that's yeah. nice. And um, and then getting the kids going on hikes when our kids were little. Now, now they, now Brent and I are slowing down, and they're way ahead of us. But our kids just. <laughs> loved loved yeah. hiking it's just a lot a lot of fun there there's a picture i i think i'm recalling a picture of me when i was like probably like one and my dad has me in his like backpack you know and the, i don't oh, know God. if we were hiking but it's just uh-huh. a very one of those childhood pictures that i i remember you know um so yeah i'd love to to see my husband with a with one of those on yeah oh that sounds like so much fun it it is mm-hmm. a lot of fun and you can, you know, the great thing about hiking is it's something that you really can do as a family at all ages. You know, it might be small when they're three and four, you know, it might be small little hikes, but it is, it's really a great kind of family, spend time together, you know, have fun sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so we have, we asked last week and we want to remind you guys, if you have some question of the week ideas, you know, let us know. We did get one from Renee, one of the girls in our group and um, just um, Renee who designed our logo. Yes. Yes, Who helped with our logo. Yes. She's awesome. Okay. So we got, we got a kind of an interesting question from Renee 
And I thought this was a fun one. She says, what's something random you love about your husband? And she gave the example. I love watching my husband while he's grocery shopping. He takes it very seriously and reads all the labels. It's adorable. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. (laughs) I think that's a great question. Okay. So I will think about that and I will answer that next week. Oh, yeah. Here, I always forget and I'm all ready to answer it. But now I get some time to think about that one. And then... Um, look for the post. What we'll do is after this episode airs, we'll put a post in the group and maybe on the page too. And, um, you can share some of those things with us. There was actually one of the girls in our, in our Facebook group. I can't remember exactly what she said, but she had done a post for people to say something, you know, wonderful about a family member. And it was really fun reading through, you know, that post. You know, little special things people said that their child or their husband or, you know, or a parent or something did for them. And so I think I think these are fun questions. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing some more like this. Yes. Um, so the only other thing, I guess, before we go is next week we have a special mother's day episode we thought it would be fun to with mother's day coming up you know ashley isn't a mom yet um i am and we're gonna have actually a couple of the admins from our group on one of them who has a few little ones and one who is expecting her first child next month and we thought it would be fun just to talk about being a Christian mom, talk about some of the the fun things at different stages, some of the challenges, some of the ways that we are training our children in the Lord. And, um, and we're going to throw some other things in there. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, maybe infertility and miscarriage because we have a lot of gals who are, are who are um, struggling with that and asked if we could bring that up too. Cause I think th- it can be a hard time of year, you know, if you've been struggling with infertility or if you've recently lost a baby. Um, but in the other thing we want to talk a little bit about teaching our children, the catechism and some of the benefits that we've seen with that and how we've gone about it, but just some different things surrounding being a mom. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that episode. Yeah, I think it's gonna be fun having a couple other girls on. I think I think it's I think it's gonna be a real fun episode, and just having the other girls on and just a just kind of a low key episode, but where we can talk about some of those those different things surrounding motherhood. So mm-hmm. we really appreciate you guys listening, and if you want to get a hold of us, you can, on on the episode notes, you can send us a question for our next question to answer episode. Um, The phone number will be on our episode info. You can either text us or leave us a voicemail. You can also email us at theologygals at gmail.com. You can find all of the stuff having to do with Theology Gals at BibleThumpingWingnut.com and click on Theology Gals. You can see our, our blogs and our episodes. I last week did a blog on whether homeschooling is the answer, which I would like to talk about sometime. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. 
Um, but it's actually gone very well. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. So we just really appreciate all of our listeners so much for you guys um, listening to us and all of the support. So, well, thank you and have a good evening and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.